All right, welcome to Docs at Church. My name is David Livingston. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the guys on staff here. And my job, my role here um, is actually to not stay here, but to leave here and plant another church from Doxa to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so, yeah, my, my role is a church planning candidate. And so for a lot of what I've been doing kind of the last six months has been trying to figure out, man, where are we supposed to plant? Where does God have like on Doxa's heart to like go? And we've decided on Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so we actually have an, an info meeting today after the second service. We've been kind of announcing it for the last little bit, but that is today. So if you're here and you want to come back for that, um, would super encourage you to do it. It's not just for people who are trying to come with us and move with us, although you totally can. That's for everyone. <laughs> this is for anyone who just wants to know, like, man, what is this church plan about? What does it look like to even be, like, a member here at Doxa and to have this church plan going out? How can I pray? How can I be part of this? Um, you can find out a bunch more stuff about that. So after the second service, right back here, about 12.15 today. So we're in 1 Corinthians 9. Okay, so you have a Bible, pull it out. 1 Corinthians 9. And, and last week, Paul talked about freedom. And he talked about like, what do we do in life when we have like certain, certain decisions to make that aren't necessarily just right or wrong, but it's like we actually have a bunch of different ways we could land the plane and what we decide to do. And none of them would necessarily be right or wrong. We're free. How do you make decisions and that kind of thing? And Roger talked about that. And what Paul wants to do is he wants to transition from talking about freedoms to talking about ambition. And that's what this text is about. So 1 Corinthians 9 is about. And so the question we should ask this morning is this, what is the ambition of your life? So I want just you to stop for just a moment and kind of just ask yourself that question. What is the ambition, like the kind of single driving reality that kind of like animates my life? Because what's cool in this passage, it's actually one of my favorite passages in 1 Corinthians, because this is the passage where we get a window into the ambition of Paul's life. The person who's kind of been writing this, the apostle who's like kind of giving all these truths to this church. And if you don't know Paul's story, it is really amazing. Because this is a man who was very elite, like very successful, very religious, a prestigious person. And when Christianity started, he wasn't part of the movement. He was actually against it. It didn't make sense to him. It didn't make sense at all. But he was actually someone who had power in society, and so he actually used that power to persecute the followers of Jesus. He actually, we first introduce, we first meet Paul in the story of the Bible as he's actually killing Christians. But there's this moment on the road to Damascus, he's kind of like on his way to continue persecuting Christians because he doesn't understand Christ at all, when the risen Christ actually appears to him, meets him on the road, and it changed everything for Paul. And kind of everything that we're going to read in this passage is a response to what he says happened on that day. And it's actually how he starts this, this chapter. So read with me just the very first, very first line. It says this, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? So he kind of starts with this thing of like, man, I've, I am an apostle. Like that's actually true of me. And I've actually seen the Lord. And so this experience of seeing Jesus changed everything about Paul's life. It saved him. It made him a servant of Christ. It made him an apostle. And it gave him a singular driving ambition for the rest of his life. And that's what he wants to get into in this passage. And so there's kind of three, this passage works in three ways. It's like he starts with his right saying like, I have certain freedoms, but then there's a certain posture that because I'm a follower of Jesus, I take towards the freedoms in my life. And then he wants to end by saying, man, this is my ambition. This is the thing that drives me and kind of causes me to live in the way I do. 
So, first thing, Paul's rights. Okay, read with me the first 12 verses. Chapter 9. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Meaning like, I'm, I'm an apostle and you're kind of like the people God's given kind of underneath my apostolic authority. And if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, who is Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? For who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Or who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Now, do I say these things on human authority? Or does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is really concerned? No, he said, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow and hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And what's he talking about? He's using a lot of like kind of Old Testament imagery, but he's basically just saying like, hey, like people who are workers for the gospel, ministers of the gospel, it's actually within their right to like take a salary from people they're sharing the gospel with. And so he says this in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And so if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So Paul's talking about rights, freedoms, right? Things that are kind of like actually free as a follower of Jesus for him to live in this certain way. And Paul's talking about himself in these really specific categories. But there's a ton of different things that fall into this category, right? Roger talked about this last week. How do you make decisions, when there's a bunch of different things you're free to do, and neither of them necessarily right or wrong. And for Paul, he's saying, man, we actually could choose to get married and have a spouse and a family. Like, that's, that's freedom for us. We can do this. It's not right or wrong. And we could actually charge for our preaching and teaching. That's actually the normal thing that most teachers and philosophers do in today's age. And even kind of warrant for it in the Bible. He's saying it's right and good that people preach the gospel for a living. They should have the cost of their living paid for by those who share in the blessing. There isn't some rule that says we can't do these things. We are free. But look what he says next, verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But, and, and pay attention to this line, it's kind of amazing. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He's saying it's not wrong to have a spouse, great thing. Not wrong to take a salary from the people you're ministering to as a missionary. Those are real freedoms. Those are good things. But I don't want to talk to you about what I'm free or not free to do. What I want to do is I want to talk to you about the posture that I take towards the freedoms in my life. Because how you relate to your freedom says a lot about what you're actually living for. So this is Paul's posture. Look Look down at verse 15. We'll skip a little bit. Verse 15 says this. But I've made no use of any of these rights, and nor am I writing to you to actually secure any such provision. Meaning like, I'm not, this isn't kind of like a backhanded way of saying like, hey, I could get paid for this, this ministry, like, and then you should actually just pay me for that. It's, that's not the point of this. Because what he says next, for I would actually rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But even if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. This wording is a little bit confusing, um, but I don't want us to miss what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I'm viewing my rights my kind of God-given freedoms, not as something to fight for, but as something to be sacrificed intentionally for the proclamation of the gospel. And he's trying to like, and he's, he's speaking to this church in Corinth, right? Who like really doesn't understand his life. Because they look at Paul and they're like, Paul, you, you're living this weird kind of sad existence. Like it's kind of pathetic. Like you're not one of these like kind of powerful, rich philosophers of the day that kind of like are living in this really like powerful authoritative way. You're, you're, you're not like that. And frankly, it's kind of unimpressive. And so Paul is constantly having to explain his way of life. And he's saying, I'm serious about this. I'd actually rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Well, what is his boast? What is his reward? He's saying, my reward is being able to live in a way where I intentionally give up my rights in order to further bless people with a gospel free of charge. And man, I've been so floored by Paul's view of his life this week because this is like such an opposite way that I view my freedoms and my rights. And my guess is it's almost the opposite of the way you view your freedoms and your rights too. And I think the reason is because we're Americans, right? Like we, like, you know, you have like Patrick Henry, right? Give me liberty or give me death, right? That's kind of like just built into like the foundation of what it means to be an individualistic American Christian. Or you have like, we were talking about license plates the other day and New Hampshire's license plate just says like, New Hampshire, live free or die. And we were like, that's so epic. Like, oh my gosh, like it's Iowa. Like we're from Iowa. It's like, it says fields of opportunity. <laughs> oh, like that's the lamest thing ever. Wisconsin's is like arguably not cooler. It's like America's Dairyland, or they tried to do like forward was their thing, which I think was where Rob got the forward campaign from. I don't know if you caught that, but like that's Wisconsin's slogan and Rob's. But Nebraska, this is funny. Nebraska's slogan is the good life. (laughs) Clearly a lie. Like it's not like really? Nebraska, the good life? Okay. But, this is, but New Hampshire hasn't changed their slogan since the Redcoats came marching in, right? Live free or die. But here's the thing. That, there's something in there that's like built into us, right? That's like, I need my freedoms. If there's an area of life that I have a right in, like I need to take hold of that right and manifest that right and live that way. And if we're honest, the way we throw down that line, like I would rather die than... Almost all of us would say, I would rather die than anyone take my rights away from me. And and my guess is like a lot of the arguments we get in with like our spouses or like different people, like that's what's at the base of it. No, I actually would rather die on this hill than give up this right you're trying to take away from me. Because our freedom is so primary to the thing we think will make us happy and bring us joy. And so we say, I'd rather die than anyone take my rights away from me. But Paul says, no, I would rather die than have anyone take away my ability to give up my rights for the spread of the gospel. 
He says, I, 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 that's what I'd rather die for. And, you know, he's saying, man, being single is hard. But you know what? I can work harder. I can actually move around more. I can be, actually be more of a servant to people. So I don't have a wife. And Paul's just kind of made that choice. And he says, man, working a job on the side is hard. Like, I, I preach all day. I spend time with people. And, and I make tents at night to kind of sell in the marketplace. Paul was a tent maker. And he says, but this allows me to actually give the gospel to people free of charge. And he has kind of these partnerships with other churches, you know, back here, helping kind of support him in his ministry. But so he can just kind of, when he lands in a city, he can just be like, I don't want anything from you. All I want to do is tell you about Jesus. And so Paul isn't trying to figure out what he needs to do. He's not asking question what freedoms he has in following Jesus. He's trying to figure out how to get the gospel to as many people as possible, whether or whether or not it costs him his freedom. It's just not his question. And what you see in Paul's posture towards his life, the way he interacts with his freedoms, there's something really important because the way we think about our freedoms doesn't just say a lot about what we're living our life for. But the way we interact with our freedoms actually says a lot about how we view salvation. And I'll explain what, what I mean by that. Because what's so interesting about following Jesus is when you are under grace, you really are free. Like Paul, Paul used this line over and over again. He's like, I'm, I'm free. Like I actually really am free to live a different way than I'm living. And Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he spends like eight chapters explaining this. Right? I'm not under the law, but as a follower of Jesus, I am under grace. I've actually been released from the burden of law. I'm no longer under the weight of its commands and its rule. And here's where the gospel gets really interesting because the good news of the gospel is precisely that. We're not given a set of rules to follow. We're not given a type of life to emulate that if we do a good enough job, then we will be saved. No, we are given grace Jesus in our place. And this means we are free. And people who are truly free, people who know they're free, they actually spend very little time fighting for their rights. And it's like a sort of paradox, because it's like only those who are truly free, truly set free, are the kind of people free enough to actually sacrifice that true freedom for something greater. And that's what you see in Paul's life. And here's one of the things that you'll notice if you just start to study yourself and other people is when you are living as though under a law, meaning you're trying to live up to some standard to keep your relationship with God good, right? And no matter how much you've heard the gospel, this is like our default, like baseline, home base we always come back to, right? We're like, well, I know I'm under grace, but man, I really, I really need to read, read the Bible there. God's not gonna be happy with me. Like, I know I'm under grace, but I really need to actually live a certain kind of way in order to kind of keep God's favor over me. And what happens when we live this way is you inevitably become focused on what freedoms you do or do not have. And it ends up being what you spend your time thinking about. It ends up being the kind of thing you try to navigate your life around, right? Like, how can I make sure to do what God commands of me? And, and what I mean is I need to get really specific with this. This is always oh, says tithe, Okay tithe 10%. Okay, sounds like a lot, but okay, 
Is that like before taxes or after, right? Because I don't like, I, that gets taken out of my paycheck. I don't even see that. So it probably means like after, after taxes, right? This is like the money I really see. And it's, that's just money from our job, right? Like that wouldn't mean like money we made on stocks this year, right? Or like that wouldn't be like if someone gives me an inheritance, that's, that's not that, right? And we're trying to ask these questions of like, what does God actually require of me? When you're under a law, you become focused on knowing really specifically what you are or what you're not supposed to do. And the reason is because you're trying to maximize your freedoms. You're trying to figure out what, am I, what are my free to do? What are my rights? Because you want to maximize those because when you're under a law, freedom feels scarce. It feels like it's always eluding you because you feel the burden of the law. And so freedom feels scarce and so you don't have much of it so you need to maximize all that you have. But when you are under grace, those aren't the questions you spend time asking because those are now irrelevant questions. What am I free to do? How am I free to live? Those are really just the opposite signs of the coin of other questions that we know really well. Right? What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do for God to be on good terms with me? And what we're really asking, not like literally asking, but like we're asking with a posture of our lives, as we're asking, we're saying, tell me exactly what I must do so that I can then know where I have freedom. And when we take this question to the cross of Jesus, what must I do? The cross of Jesus answers that question in a crazy way. It says, Nothing. Nothing. And yeah, you read the Bible, you need to have faith, you need to, you need to surrender to him, but those are actually gifts that the cross of Jesus gives you, and they certainly don't earn you anything. The reality that like free grace just like weighs down on our lives is that you don't do anything. Because on the cross, when Jesus shed his blood for you, he is the one who paid your full and complete cost of your salvation from beginning to end. He didn't start it and you finish it. He didn't get you 90% of the way and you get the rest 10. No, actually his blood paid for your full and complete salvation from beginning to end, A to Z. And you can't add anything to it. You, you can't pay him back. It, it's done. It's finished. And this is what Paul saw when he met Jesus. This is what he saw when he saw the risen Christ because what he saw was he saw the wounds that were on his body. Because the risen Christ that Paul saw was actually the, the crucified Jesus who had risen from the grave. And two things happened for Paul in that moment. The first thing that happened when Paul kind of meets Jesus was this first, a complete and total understanding that he couldn't do anything to earn favor with God. Nothing. Like in that moment, he realizes it. It comes crashing into his life. Like there is not a single thing I can do to earn favor with this God because God didn't greet him with honor and praise for all of his hard work. God didn't greet him proud of his spiritual accomplishments. God met him as the crucified son of God whose first words were, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul didn't have to wonder where he stood with God, but he was staring at the wounds that were on his body, and he knew that they were put there because of his failure and his sin. 
That's the first thing he saw. That's the first kind of reality that came crashing into his life. But at the same time, in the wounds of Jesus, Paul saw the gospel. That despite his failure and sin, the wounds of Jesus were not condemning him as guilty. But actually the blood that had poured out from those wounds had actually covered him in grace. And this moment, this, this encounter with Jesus, it, it totally transformed his life. Like, not sort of, it totally transformed his life. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus like that? Like, I, I don't mean abstractly. I don't mean like just doctrinally. I mean like personally. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus in that kind of way where you know without a shadow of doubt that you deserve the wrath of God? And in the same moment, you see that he looks this way because he's taken your place in the story so that he could give you his. That you aren't being cast out, but you're actually being welcomed in and that you aren't being condemned, but actually the very wounds that mark the body of Jesus are actually the very things that give you grace. I remember sitting in a chair in Salt Company. Salt Company is the college ministry here, and it's the, the college ministry at Iowa State where I became a Christian. And I remember hearing the same message. It was the same gospel. I, I'd grown up in the church. I'd heard it my whole life. But something about it was different. Because in this moment, like, as God was just kind of, like, clearing away the fog and helping me see things for what they really are, like, it wasn't just that Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, but he was dying for my sins, and like his, his wounds were because of me, but they were also for me. And my entire life after that totally changed. Like totally, 180. Nothing was the same at all. Because what it did is it ta- changed the posture of my life entirely. Because it gave me a new ambition for my life. And in this moment, when I met Jesus for, for the first time, I had something in my life that was actually worth sacrificing my rights and freedoms for. My whole life, that's all I had to live for. My rights, my freedoms. I got to maximize those because that's all I got. Meeting Jesus, all of a sudden I had something in my life that was worth sacrificing those rights and freedoms for. And this is what Paul wants to talk about. It's his ambition. And look what he says in verse 19. This is so awesome. He says, for though I am free from all, meaning like no one has claim on me, I'm free. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He's talking about sharing the gospel. He's talking about people meeting Jesus Christ. And so he says to the Jews, and I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Meaning like when Paul's hanging out with Jewish people, like he's not living in certain freedoms that he has. Like he's like conforming his life to theirs as much as possible so he can explain the gospel in as clear and compelling of a way as possible. It's like when I'm with Jews, I just, I live like that. Even though I don't need to, I do it. And he says to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. But the reason I'm doing this is that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, 
that I might win the week? And he says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. You know, Paul, so many of like the questions that we have in our lives about our freedoms, like, am I free to do this? Am I not? Am I free to do this? So many of those questions that bog us down in our life, the only reason we're asking them is because we don't have a greater ambition to live for. And so we just live in this confusion of like, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do this? Or like, who am I supposed to vote for? Like, should I post this on Facebook? Should I not? And it's like, Paul's not asking those kind of questions. He's just like, I want people to know Jesus, and I'm willing to get rid of all of my freedoms in order to make that happen. And if I have to pretend to be a Democrat with my Democratic friend, I don't care, because I'm not a Republican. I'm a follower of Jesus. If I have to, like, pretend to be something, it's not talking about pretending. He's just saying, if I have to, like, give up my rights to be a certain kind of person— or present myself as a certain kind of person, if at the end of the day, that thing, that giving up that right, ends up this person comes to know Jesus, done, end of conversation, I will do that because that freedom, that right means nothing to me compared to the eternal soul of this person. And them meeting Jesus and worshiping Jesus because Jesus is worth their worship and their glory. Listen, if you spend your life asking what you must do, what you need to do, what you are free to do, you will end up living a very safe, comfortable life. And there will be very few people who follow Jesus because of you. Because almost every step in your Christian faith, zeal and passion for the things of God, they're not always in opposition to some kind of blatant sin or evil in your life. Right? Sometimes they are. It's like your addiction to pornography is the very thing that's keeping you from sharing the gospel. That's true sometimes. But most of the time, it's going to be in direct opposition to some other freedom you have in your life. And some other freedom that you actually have because of Christ. Like the reason that so few of our neighbors haven't heard us share the gospel with them isn't because we're spending our time gambling and drinking. Probably. It's because we're spending our time remodeling our houses and trimming our lawns. And that's not an evil thing to do. It's freedom. The reason that so few Christians never end up moving anywhere for the sake of the gospel isn't because they have some kind of underground, illicit, like drug smuggling ring that they can't leave because they have to keep this thing under wraps. It's like, no. They just have a good job that pays well and their family is comfortable. And that's freedom. You can live that life because you're not under the law. You're under grace. But the question is not, what are you free to do? The question is never, what are you free to do? The question is, what is your ambition? What is your life about? What is the goal of your life? You know, right after I became a Christian, I remember this was the very first time I shared the gospel with someone. And I think I've shared this story before, but is is the kid who lived across the hall from me named Jordan Iliff. And this was like, I just had put my faith in Jesus. I was just a baby Christian. And there was this kid who didn't know Jesus. And so I was like, I have to tell you about him because he's amazing. He's changed my life, Jordan. You have to follow Jesus. And I remember sharing the gospel and it was terrible. Like it was a horrible 
horrible gospel presentation. It took way too long. It was very confusing. I spent most of my time in the Old Testament for some dumb reason. And like, I finally barely got to Jesus. I think I might've like forgotten about the resurrection. It was terrible. But I remember sharing the gospel with Jordan. And then yeah, I just at the end, I was like, man, do you want to follow Jesus? He's like, man, I don't know. And I was like, dude, you think you're going to go to heaven? Or like, I was like, do you think if you get hit by a bus, you'd go to heaven or hell? And I was like, why are you asking? That's crazy. Why are you asking? And then he was like, I think I'd go to hell. I just need to go home and think. I was just crazy. So he went home to his dorm. He ended up becoming a Christian, okay? It's really cool. <laughs> God uses terrible gospel presentations to save people, okay? But what happened in that moment was like for the very first time in my life, not only did I know Christ, but I was living a life where I was trying to give Christ to other people. And it was like the very first moment I'd ever felt alive. Like I get emotional thinking about it because I just remember before that, like all I had to live for was myself. That was it. And all I had to live for were like my small petty dreams of like money and accomplishments. And it was like in that moment, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like, this thing I'm feeling, this is what it must feel like for humans to actually do what they're supposed to do and live how they're supposed to live because this is how I was designed by my creator to be. Not to live for myself, but to live for him. Not to try to find some glory for my own life and try to find a crown, but actually just to point to Jesus Christ and say, he's amazing, he is glorious. And I remember actually leaving that meeting with my friend, and I remember skipping through the halls of Friley, like literally skipping. It was ridiculous. But I was just so happy, and I was so filled with joy, because for the first time in my life, I had purpose. And for the first time in my life, it felt like I could actually risk my rights and freedoms, and it would be worth it to do that. You know, we're, we're planting a church. And the reason we're planting a church isn't just because everyone needs to hear. Like, that's a big part of the reason. That's one of the reasons we're going. But one of the reasons we're going to plant a church is also because every Christian is called into ministry. Every Christian's called into ministry. And if the only thing that we do as this group of Christians here is we build this massive mega church, what's going to end up happening is there's going to be a few people who are going to be in ministry and then there's going to be like 90% who are just kind of like following in the stream, doing almost nothing with the gospel that God's given us. So the reason we go and we plant churches is because we want to be people who are on the move. We don't stay comfortable. We don't stay where we're at. But we want to continue taking the gospel, not just here, but to the next place and the next place and the next place and the next place, even if it costs us our freedoms. Because every Christian is called into the family of God, and that's what God is about. Later in the, the second letter he writes to this church, Paul says it like this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, man, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is what he's, he's saying. He says, all of this is from God. And what did God do? Well, God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us to the world. That's crazy. That is crazy 
that God would take the very people who put the wounds on his body and then send them out in that glorious way. It's literally the first and the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. (laughs) Do you remember the very first thing in Matthew? He says, hey, follow me. Anyone, follow me. The invitation's free. And I will do what? I will make you fishers of men. And then it's the very last thing he says. He says, go, (laughs) therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And at every step of the journey, if you ask what you are free to do, you will stop. Because you are free. There's no law that crushes you with burden anymore. You are actually under grace. But that's not the question. The question is, what is your ambition? And is your ambition for your life the same as the ambition as the one you claim to follow? This world, and as we really, really honest, most specifically this country is drowning under the weight of Christians who are doing nothing with the gospel they've been given. Like our world's drowning under those kinds of Christians. And I remember feeling the weight of this in college and I was actually looking at like my life and my plans and I was just realizing like, oh my gosh, like if I don't do something radical, I'm going to be that person. Because most everyone who raises their hand and says, I wanna follow Jesus ends up being that person. And I was looking out across a country of people who supposedly had met the same Christ that I had and I was watching them live in all of the freedoms of the gospel without any of the ambition of the Savior. And so I made a commitment with some of my friends. We called it the Frisbee Covenant. It was late at night, all right? We were throwing a Frisbee around. We were really serious about reading our Bibles, following Jesus, and we just sat down and we literally just like held this Frisbee, which is the lamest thing in the entire world. I realized that. I feel like ashamed even saying this to you, but it's what actually happened, okay? And we just literally were like looking at each other in the eyes and we were just making this covenant, this commitment together. We were saying, we're not gonna live that way. And even if everyone else goes that way, where they kind of find the easiest, most comfortable path to heaven, we're not going to do that. We refuse to live our lives that way. And so we started just planting a flag in the ground and saying, we want to have the kind of ambition for our lives that Jesus has for our lives. And it wasn't that we weren't free to do this. Right? We could have lived a normal Christian life, but it was just that we had met Christ. And we didn't want to stand before him at the end of our short life, having lived a life that was completely unrecognizable to his. Like, do you understand? There's a day coming where all of us are going to stand before the Lamb of God, who was slain for the sins of the world. And in that day, you're not gonna wish that you had lived more for your comforts and freedoms. You're not gonna wish that you'd lived more for yourself, but you are going to cherish every moment of sacrifice that he graciously gave you because those were the moments in your life that your life actually looked a little bit like his. And in that moment, you're gonna realize this, that this crucified man, this is what beauty and glory actually look like. And this is why Paul is saying crazy stuff. He's saying, I would rather die than give up this boast. 
Take my life, but don't take my ability to give up my freedoms for the sake of getting people the gospel. I would rather endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you think like this with your life? And if we don't, why? Paul isn't crazy. He isn't a lunatic. He has just seen the risen Christ. And with his own eyes, he's seen the crucified Lamb of God in his glory, and the display of glory was so bright that it blinded him for three days. And when that happened, everything that the world held out to Paul that was bright and beautiful wasn't so bright and beautiful anymore. You need an ambition, and you need a goal of your life that is weighty enough to sacrifice your rights and freedoms for. But you don't need to go looking for one. Because Jesus has given you his. Jesus came from heaven to earth to shed his blood so that he could ransom and pay for the salvation of people from every tribe, tongue, language, every nation. There are people all over this world whose salvation has already been bought and paid for. That is the ambition of Jesus, is to save sinners. The question is whether you've taken this ambition and made it yours. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so much like the church in Corinth in so many ways. And God, we're these with this group of people that is free. Like you've you've bought us with your blood, God. The law no longer crushes us down with a set of standards we could never live up to, but now actually you've stood in our place. And so now we actually have grace that covers our lives. And whether we live this radical life or not, it's not going to depend on where we end our final days. We're not earning our salvation anymore. We're not trying to become the right kind of people that will be accepted by you. No, Jesus, we're accepted because of what you did for us. And so, Jesus, that's true of us. But God, what's also true is that so often we lack your ambition. We live in your freedoms, but we don't live the kind of life you're calling us to live. And so, Jesus, I just, I pray that, God, in my own life, as I just feel this tension of like still wanting to fight for my rights and try to live as free as I possibly can, God, I, I want the heart of Paul And so Jesus, maybe, maybe some of us in the room, the reason we don't have this is we've never actually met you before. And so we're living this life of just like scarcity. We're not really living under grace. We've never actually experienced you. Jesus, for the people in the room, that's their story. God, would you just meet them today? Like you met Paul, like you met me. And God, would they have an experience of a savior that has paid everything for them? And would it change their life? And God, would you give us an ambition that overwhelms our needs to live for ourselves? God, change the world through us. In your name, amen.